So we're going to talk about prayer this morning, and um, you know, it's, it's like taking a thimble and dipping it in the ocean, because there is so much in the Bible about prayer. Speaking of prayer, it would seem to me that Leaf fans learned how to pray last night, <laughs> so there was a... A great object lesson on uh, at the third period, it seemed that uh, a lot of people went to prayer because things changed real quick, and I'm happy for you. <laughs> Sincerely, I'm happy for you. There's a lot of misunderstanding about prayer. Some people think that prayer is where God gets his orders, like a vending machine. I just name what I want God to give me, and I claim it, and it's mine. Then there are others who pray unceasingly, the way the scriptures teach us. But I think many of us are frustrated with our prayer lives or an understanding of prayer. We misunderstand it, perhaps. We're disappointed because sometimes things have not turned out the way we prayed. And so often people are not praying very much. They don't bother to pray anymore. Why pray? So we want to talk about the truth about prayer this morning. Maybe we should pray before we start to talk about prayer. Do you think? Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, you are a great and awesome God. You're a saving, healing God. We've been singing about these things this morning already. It's sort of prayer and songs, Lord, reminding ourselves to lift up praise and exalt you, to encourage our lives. There are people here, Father, who've experienced the greatness of your power this week to respond to something they needed. There are others who are calling out with great urgency. Oh God, would you visit us in prayer, in power. There's desperation and disappointment. There's frustration. There's apathy. Laziness. There are any number of reactions, oh God, to our connections with you. And so today I ask that you would help me to lead your people into the truth. Thank you for the guidance of the Holy Spirit and your word, because your word is truth. I ask, oh God, that we would not be seeking for information and knowledge, but we would be seeking to have our heart reshaped and changed and reset, that we might apply what we learn, oh God to our lives and that you might breathe life into our prayer lives, O oh God. For your great namesake, I pray. Amen. So where do you go when you are doing one sermon on prayer? Well, you pick a place where Jesus taught us to pray. It may be a good starting point. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 11? This is also recorded in Matthew, but 
I want to look at Luke chapter 11. You'll see why. I would also love for you to have your finger at least in Acts chapter 4. We'll bounce around in there a little bit. One thing we know for certain is that prayer is all about our relationship with God. So this is really a discipleship lesson, truly a discipleship lesson, because to be a disciple, you have to talk to God. Kind of comes with the territory of having a relationship with Him. I, I mean, think about those of you who are married, think about the marriage ceremony where you said, I do, I do, I will, I will, and then you go mute for the rest of your marriage. Not much of a relationship. So many of us have come to know Jesus Christ, I will, I will, I do, I do, and then we go mute on Jesus. We don't talk to him. That's not a relationship. He brought us into his heart that we might have a relationship with him and talk to him. We, we, ha we talked about the doctrine of scripture last week, and now we're talking about the doctrine of prayer this week. That's the communication reality with our God. That's how we, we relate to God. That's how we get to know him. That's how, how he communicates to us. Prayer validates that we take nothing for granted. Prayer that gets results is praying for what God already wants to give you. Where do we get that? In 1 John chapter 5, way near the end of your New Testament, there's a really important couple of verses that help us, help us to understand and give us strength for our prayer lives. Verse 14 of 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything, that's where a lot of people stop. And then they jump this phrase and say, we have it. It's not what it says. Look what it says. You gotta, you, this is a package deal. That if we ask anything according to his will, God never surrenders his right to be God, ever. And prayer, above all, acknowledges that. He hears us. And here's the confidence. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So prayer that gets results is praying for what God already wants to give you. Our task is to find out what that is. And then to pray. That's why our association with the Holy Spirit is so critical, so important. Has everything to do with reaching God's ear. So this morning from the text, I want to... Um, Look at six things that Jesus teaches us about prayer. Praying that gets, this is sort of a praying that gets results template that we make our own. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke 11, verse 1. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. It's interesting as we study the disciples that they never asked him to teach them to do anything else. He never asked them to teach them to preach. Never asked them to teach them to heal. The things that we might have asked him to. They, but they asked him to teach them to pray. So how important is that? He said to them, when you pray, 
Before we get into it, I want you to, to know that what Jesus really said here is when you all pray, when you all pray, Jesus was from the south. We don't use that very much here. We don't use it at all, in fact. But that's what it really says, when you all pray, which tells us two things. Jesus was expecting every one of us to pray. And it puts, it throws prayer also into a very, very much a community practice that when you all pray, we should all pray together. We should come together and pray. That's why we keep in the order of service a very important time called the pastor's prayer where we come together and we, our hearts knit together and we pray together. In many churches that I've visited around the world, they just have like a free-for-all prayer time. It's really amazing. You go to China, in the China church, the house church of China, the people are gathered in some place where they're moving from place to place for fear of the authorities. They say pray, they just all stand up and pray. And there's a swell, I mean, it's, it's the most awesome experience ever. There's this, even though I couldn't understand a word of it, Ni Hao and Zichian, Zichian, that's about it. I'm not sure they really said that to God. Hello and goodbye. <laughs> but there's this swell. They pray and it's like, it's like an organism. They're praying and then it just rises in intensity and it's amazing. And then it dies down. And like as if everyone knows that's it. We've prayed. It's, it's, it's powerful. Very powerful. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. The first thing I notice here, of course, and and this is a, a pattern, as I said, a template for you to use, is that prayer takes our eyes off of the size of our burden so you can stare into the face of your powerful God to recognize his awesomeness. You see what Jesus directs us to? Pray to the Father and then talk about how holy and how great and how magnificent and how awesome God is. That's that's how you move into prayer. You remind yourself of all the truths about God. He is gracious and great and a saving God and a healing God and an awesome God and a magnificent God. That's what we pray Hallowed be your name in your need and in your burden. There are many people you can talk to. There are many things that you could say. There are many places to run. There are many and oftentimes where you just simply sit and stare at the huge problem that you have in front of you. But listen to me, beloved. If you stare at your problem, doubt and fear will become your reality instead of God. This is what prayer is. Prayer is making what is really real, real. Because no matter what's going on in your life, the overriding reality is God. A powerful God, an awesome God. And trouble is meant to drive us to our knees and drive us to God Everything about our lives positions us to bring glory to God. 
That's what this is all about, that Almighty God would be right-sized and exalted in our situation, that we would go to Him and call out to Him. There's an important text in Ezekiel that the people of God in Ezekiel's time were not honoring Him. They were not lifting up His name by the way they lived. They were living with fear and they were living in timidity and they were, they were um, not representing the great God. And so God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and He says this to them, I will show the holiness of my great name among the nations, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Now he's talking, he's not only saying, around you are people who don't know me and profane my name, but you yourselves, God's people, are profaning my name. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I show myself holy through you before their eyes. This introduction to prayer, the, the, the first encounter with God as we go to prayer and exalt his name and ask him to, to teach us to be courageous and bold and, and, and uh, that we might recognize his power and his awesomeness is that the people around us who are, who are profaning our God and looking at so many Christians who are, who are not displaying the power and awesomeness of God and we ourselves are profaning Him, God wants us to be people who by our attention to His greatness look and walk and, 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 and face our situations with great confidence and boldness because of who God is, because God is our reality, not our burdens and our problems. That every obstacle might be in our hearts owned by God. Over in Acts, Peter and John had just been released from prison. The church was in its early stages, infancy. And within days, Peter and John are thrown in prison. And the believers, of course, are, are faced with this reality that this is not going to be easy serving the Lord. And so they get released from prison and they go to a prayer meeting. And in Acts 4, verse 24, it says that they raised their voices together in prayer. This wasn't one, this was they raised their voices together in prayer. And look what they said. Sovereign Lord. I mean, that's the important introduction. Who's in charge around here? We've just been in prison. Now we're out of prison. There are threats all around us. Rome is breathing down our necks. There's trouble all around us. But they called out, Sovereign Lord. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They established the they establish courage in their hearts in prayer by reminding each other as they prayed, God has got this. 
Look at the threats around us and the people who are profaning the name of God and we wonder what's going on around us and we're bewildered by all of the distress that's around us and the things that are, the, 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 the healings that we need, all the kinds of things we need. And we need to come before our God and say, oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You own all of this. You've got it. You know that's the kind of language we use in our own lives when we think we can handle something, we think we've got something, or we think we're on top of something. I own this. I own that. It's God who owns it. Whatever your situation, God owns it, that every obstacle is acknowledged and owned as owned by God. Jesus says, hallowed be thy name, holy is your name, awesome is your name. With reverence and respect, we come to God, recognizing he is God over all. And it says here that your kingdom would come. So that almighty God would be right-sized and exalted in your situation, that every obstacle is acknowledged as owned by God, and that you, that you would, and I would long for the rule and reign of our powerful God over our life, our church, and our situation. We learned this a few weeks ago about what this means about the kingdom of God. God brings us to our knees so we will have our priorities reset in our life. That's what this is about. So in our asking in prayer, in our praying, unless, we ask, unless our ask is for God to be exalted in our lives, hallowed be your name in my life, O oh God, that they might see, the people out there might see that I have and serve a sovereign God who is creator over all, who owns it all. I'm not, sh- I'm not shaking and afraid of the situation that I find myself in. Unless we ask God that he might be exalted in our lives, we should not expect to have our prayers answered. That you, O oh God, would be exalted over our lives, our desires, our direction, because you are sovereign God. Give us each day our daily bread. Probably you've been told your whole life that God won't give you more than you can handle. Anybody told you that? I hope I never have. Because God always gives me stuff I can't handle. My whole life. I'm not sure about your life, but my whole life is more than I can handle. Anybody find that to be true? So stop telling each other, God won't give you more than you can handle. Really? He's always going to give you more than you can handle. Always. Give us this day our daily bread. We can't even handle our daily bread. Every breath you breathe is outside of your control? Can you make the sun shine? Can you make the rain come? Can you cause healing to take place? The money that you have from the job that you have, do you think it's because of your awesome and great skill? Who gave you that awesome skill? Who enables your body 
to function so that you can do your job and get paid? The reason so many people are in trouble right now is because they think that God won't give them more than they can handle. And so they go, I, I got this. God, I don't need to pray. I got it. I own this thing. If you're there, you are already in trouble. You're in trouble today. And you've been skimming on your relationship with the Lord because you got this. It's okay, God. I can handle this. I can handle that. If you aren't praying, that means you aren't depending. Which means you're your own handler in life. And all I can say is, God help you. God help you. Forgive us our sins. Prayer brings, second point, and prayer brings the reality of our total dependency on God to its rightful placement in our lives. In case those of you who are taking notes and I forgot to say it. But thirdly, uh, Jesus mentions here, forgive us our sins. Since sin messes with everything. For sure, prayer. Why do I say that? Because in Psalm 66, 18, it says, if we regard sin in our hearts, if we entertain sin, if we keep sin in our heart, it dampens the blessing of God. If a man mistreats his wife, God won't even listen to your prayers. Ladies, you got a special protection over you from God. If your husband messes with you, God's not even going to listen to his prayers. Prayer, though, is the only way to deal with the desperate state of our hearts. The reason people aren't talking to God, well, there's two possible reasons. They're either proud or they're sinning. And, of course, pride is a subset of sinning, so it's all about sin. The reason that we might not be talking to God, was, and all I can say is, you better start praying. Believers who are warehousing sin dampens the blessing of God, not only in their own lives, but in the lives of the people around them. That's 1 Corinthians 11, when it's talking about the, the Lord's table. Paul says, you come together and it's a mess, the way you treat each other. That's why some of you are sick, some of you are asleep. That's why it's a big mess in the church. Because we warehouse sin in our lives and we forfeit the blessings that we could have for ourselves, for our family, for our church. But thankfully, God answers the prayer of sinners. Aren't you glad that God answers the prayer of sinners? Are you glad? I'm really glad. Because I stand before you as a sinful man. We've gathered together as sinful people. Anyone who says that they have no sin 
is a liar and the truth is not in them. So thankfully, our God, our gracious, amazing God, our holy God, is willing to listen to a conversation from sinful people. He invites us to come into his presence. Thankfully, God has granted us his son and his son died for our sins that we might be forgiven of our sins and that we might have the righteousness of Christ that God would listen to us and he listens to the repentant sinner the one who comes before them and all of us if we're coming to God for, to, to, uh, with our sinfulness in order to be forgiven we need to repent of what we have done you don't just come to God and say, hey, forgive me, but I have no intention of doing anything about it. No, this is a, listen, we are calling out to God, forgive us of our sins, which means I'm turning from this, oh God. I am sorry for this. I know it has violated your, your holiness. I'm turning from this. Forgive me of it, and he will forgive us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thankfully, God answers the prayers of sinners or he wouldn't be answering prayers at all. Our best, at our best, our very best moment, we're a sinner. And our prayers are flawed because they come from sinful people. When we pray the scriptures, it's not flawed. When we use the proper theological references to who God is, it's not flawed. But for the most part... Everything that we come before God and wherever we're tampering with it at all, it's flawed. That's why our prayers have to go through so many levels before they get to the throne. Our prayers have to be reconfigured by the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. Our prayers not only have to be reconfigured by the Holy Spirit, but they have to go to Jesus who is our advocate before they get to the throne room of the Father. So thankfully, God answers the prayers of sinners. God helps the repentant. He invites you into his presence. Forgive us our sins. That's an awesome thing, to be forgiven of our sins. Do we have any idea of, of how we can unburden ourselves before God, that, how gracious he is to forgive us and to cleanse us so that that weight is gone? We, we, we can unburden ourselves all the time. We have to live with sin. It's, it's a tremendous thing. But notice what he says. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. If God will forgive you, don't you dare. Don't you dare go and ask God to forgive you if you're unwilling to forgive someone else. That's what Jesus said. If my Father in heaven, Jesus says, if my Father in heaven, a holy, awesome God who hates sin and can't look at sin is willing to forgive you, don't you dare come into his presence and ask him to forgive you and you won't forgive someone else. Within the Christian community, there's a lot of bitterness and unforgiveness. That's why there's so much weakness and lack of power and lack of salvations. 
because we are not praying. We are not approaching God the way we are called to approach Him. You want God to answer your prayers? You better make sure that you have forgiven everyone around you. And lead us not into temptation. God will either keep us from sin or sin will keep us from God. So what is this saying, that God would lead me into temptation? No, it's asking God not to. Please, God, don't take me anywhere. Don't allow me to go anywhere where I will be inclined to entangle myself with the world and bring dishonor and disgrace to your name. Because, oh God... If you don't lead me, if I'm not being led by you, I would lead myself straight into sin. So Lord, please keep me from temptation. Keep me from what I would fall to. And then Jesus tells a couple of stories to help us learn something more about prayer. He gives us this pattern, but then he tells us a couple of stories then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Why did he include this story right here? Because in the matter of prayer... Most of us have a question on our hearts. Why isn't God answering my prayer? We want to pray and Saturday night, Sunday morning, we want that answered. Jesus includes this particular situation and we need to, we need to um, take off our 2017 glasses and put on some glasses of 2,000 years ago and realize that there was a time when there wasn't a 24-hour max milk. That you couldn't just run out of food at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, ah, no problem. It's covered. I mean, we have in our time become unaccustomed to living in total dependency upon God. We've got everything around us, every convenience. Uh, maybe I could just Amazon a loaf of bread. Google it and some drone will drop it on my backyard. That's coming. But we have forgotten what it is to have to wait for anything. And so we don't want to wait for God. 
We just want to Google up an order. Prayer answered. On with our lives. On with the other things that we have to do. Because I, I got things to do. I don't, I don't have time to be praying all the time. I, I got a life to live. And so this guy goes to his friend's house. Because there wasn't a 24-hour convenience store. And hospitality... We know nothing about this either. Hospitality was everything. Hospitality overruled impossibility. What do you mean you got no bread in your house? Get some. That's the way it was. Hey, I showed up at your house. You better feed me. Because hospitality demands it. But it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. Go wake up one of your friends. Okay. So he goes to his friend's place. Knocks on the door. The guy's like, be quiet. I got the kids in bed with me. And I don't want to wake them up. You know what it's like. You know what it's like. I'm, I'm trying to wake him up. It's like, don't wake him up. This is peaceful. The guy's like, I'm not leaving. I'm going to keep pounding on your door and I'll wake your kids up because I want the bread. And it says, if he won't answer because he's your friend, maybe he'll answer because of your boldness, your audacious boldness, persistence in prayer is called upon. We're called to persist in prayer because it demonstrates how much we really care about we, uh, what we ask or what we get if we get it. You parents know this. Kids are like, I want this, I want that, I want the other thing. In 15 minutes, they've forgotten about it. I don't buy things for my kids just because they ask me. Because they might lose interest in 15, 20 minutes. Or... I might realize that if they get this, they, they have no idea what this is. They're not going to be the least bit interested in it. Play with it for 15 minutes, you spend all this money, and then it's of no use to them again. God is paying attention to our hearts and the urgency of our hearts. How much does this matter? That's why he says, ask, seek, and knock. We want, we want prayer to be like a drive-by event. I need this, I need that, but I'm on my way at other things. God, I got no time for you. Sometimes it's not yet. Until you press in closer and prevail more passionately, proving to be worthy stewards of what you claim to want. William Carey, the great missionary, said, those who expect great things better attempt great things. If you expect great things from God, you better pray great things. You better ask Him for great things. That's why we call this the Great Discipleship Expectations Pledge, inviting you to pray and ask God that we might maximize the mission of this room by increasing the seating it's not about seats. It's about people. It's about lives that are lost. It's about opportunities. It's about believing that God will reach more people in our region. 
We've got a great start on it. But there's more to do to maximize this mission. We may be asking, but maybe we're not seeking. Asking is just simply asking, but seeking is pinpointing the question, saying, Lord God, what do you really want of me? I, I can ask, but if I don't seek, seeking is another level to say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm asking in general, oh, oh God, give us this or give us that, but, but what is it you want of me, oh God? Received an email from one of you in here about a client of yours with reference to our project, our seat project, our increasing the seating project. And this person talked to one of our leaders and said this to them, I didn't know what to think of the seat project at first, but then realized it wasn't about me, but about unsaved people who need to be in them. And as I prayed about it, I love this, I was convicted that a family of three that I've been praying for for years and who are certainly not yet close to paying attention to spiritual things needed to have seats when they do come to church. That's faith expectations. So besides my own, I'm buying seats for them too. That's, that's taking it from the level of asking to the level of seeking. We had another call in and say, I, I, I prayed, prayed this week and God impressed upon my heart that I need to do more than I've done. We may ask but not seek or we may ask and seek but not knock on the door. Oh God, we're not giving up on this because we believe urgently until the answer comes or until God says stop praying. or fits us for the ask. So I, I see here that God doesn't reward passive or unworthy stewards. He rewards bold shamelessness. Oh God, you can do this and I need it. And I'm gonna keep asking. And then he says, which of you, you fathers, verse 11, if your son asked for a fish, will give him a snake? Instead, or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Why don't we pray? Regularly, we don't pray because we don't really want God's answer. It might be different than what we want, right? We don't want to talk to God. I'm not going to talk to God. I remember when the pulpit committee of Calvary Baptist Church called me up years ago and said, listen, would you, would you be willing to consider um, going through a process of becoming the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church? I said, no, would not consider it. And inside of me, I didn't say this in the phone, but inside of me, now I'm not even going to pray about it. Why? Because I didn't want to. I don't want you to feel bad about yourselves. I'll, I'll make a comeback here. <laughs> I hope. I loved the people I was serving where I was. Loved where I was. And I didn't want to pray. 
because I was afraid that God would give me an answer that I didn't want to hear. Because you know, when you go and talk to God, He always makes your life miserable. You know He's always going to give you, ask you to do something you don't want to do. But you also know that when you try that, God is going to keep bothering you until you pray. Why? Because, and, and you, you have to pray. Because if you don't pray, you're not sure what God wants, and you're walking around saying, I don't know if I'm, I'm walking in the blessing of God or not now. Like, it's like, why did you guys have to call me? I was fine. I was happy. And then when I prayed, well, here I am. You see, we're afraid that if we pray and ask for a fish, that God is going to give us a snake. We're afraid that if we pray and we ask for an egg, God is going to give us a scorpion. Now, you're not snakes and scorpions. Now I love you. So we don't ask because we're afraid of what God will give us. And Jesus says, come on. If, notice what he says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, I'll just leave it at that for now, will God give you what is good? Ask him. He will never give you a snake, unless you're asking for a snake. You might want a pet snake. He will not give you a scorpion. But he might not give you a fish or an egg either. Because when you pray, God does not surrender his right to be God. In fact, he's exerting it. And you're acknowledging it. By prayer, you're acknowledging, God, you have the right. I'm, I'm asking for a fish and I'm asking for an egg. I know this, you won't give me a snake and you won't give me a scorpion, but it might not be a fish and it might not be an egg. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because you're God. That's why I'm praying in the first place. Prayer recognizes God's right to decide what is good for you. Why do we pray? Because God has included your future prayer in his past planning. If you ask for a fish, God won't give you a snake. But if you don't even pray, if you don't even pray, have you prayed about our project here? If you don't even pray, you're saying, I don't want to hear from God. I don't want to know what God wants. Because I'm afraid he'll give me a snake or a scorpion. But here's the big deal of all of this. Verse 13, if then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our your Father in heaven, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's never about material things. 
It's always about our need for divine power released by God. That's why we pray. Oh God, would you pour out your spirit on us? Look at Acts. They were praying. They were asking, why do the nations rage? They were praying Psalm 2. And then they were noting in 27, indeed, Hebrew, or indeed Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do we need the power of God? There is a definite connection between desperate faith-saturated prayer and the outpouring of God's powerful Holy Spirit. There are threats all around us. Just like there were threats back then, there are threats uh, of, uh, by Satan, uh, demons, threats from people of, the, of this world, the Herods and the Pilots, the atheist activists in media and government and journalism, the apathetic, unbelieving, world-shaped Christians are threats to the church of Jesus Christ. We have threats all around us. But when God's people... Pray to a sovereign, holy, powerful God who's in charge. Threats to God's work cannot thwart God's providence. And he pours out his Holy Spirit. And the fear from threats of spiritual terrorism is replaced by audacious boldness for the truth by God's prayed up people. So all around us we have threats of untruth and threats that we're going to put you out of business as the church and there won't be any more Easter services and, and, and you're not going to be able to speak the, the things that you think you can speak out of the word of God. We have threats all around us, but when God's people call on a sovereign God in prayer and remind him that there are threats all around, but oh God, you've got this, you own this. And we ask him to stretch out his hand and heal us and save people and and take care of business. He does. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Brothers and sisters, do we not need a fresh falling of God's Holy Spirit upon us? In this week before Holy Week, as we begin Holy Week, and we long to see people come to faith in Christ, and and people who are fooling around with Jesus get serious about him, do we not need a fresh falling of the Holy Spirit of God? Then you must pray for it. We must call out to the Lord. We must pray and ask him to do great and mighty things and not give up. Ask and seek And knock until the answer comes. We will not stop praying, O God, because you are holy, awesome, mighty, powerful God, and we need your power. Working in hearts and lives around us, we need people healed. 
We need people saved. We need resources. We need strength. We need boldness. We need courage. Who do you want us to talk to? Who should we speak to this week? Oh God, we need courage. Would you shake us? Shake this place, shake our hearts, oh God. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. Do not give up. This same Lord, our prayer answering God, is coming again. Jesus is Lord, and we will see him. He is coming again. Oh God, we praise you, and we thank you, and we ask you that the Spirit of God might fall fresh on us. Lord, would you? You have said to us in your word, those who ask for a fish will not get a snake, and those who ask for an egg will not get a scorpion. And how much more you being evil would not give this to your children, will the Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit who you need. So God, we feel at liberty to ask you to have the Spirit of God fall fresh on us today to grant us the power we need to withstand temptation, to forgive those who need to be forgiven, to exalt your name in our lives, to call out and ask you for healing, to ask you that your power might be demonstrated among us, to ask you for salvations, O oh God. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, we pray. Amen.